Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. Data analytics are transforming the practice of medicine. Treatment algorithms developed from analyzing massive data sets that include patient characteristics and outcomes are important tools for determining appropriate next steps when a patient presents with certain symptoms. But evidence continues to emerge showing that algorithms that take a patient's race and or ethnicity into consideration can yield distorted results. But even as we scrutinize the use of race in clinical algorithms, there is a risk of making worse decisions by simply eliminating race entirely in algorithms and doing nothing to capture certain types of patient variation. So how should we think about the role of race and ethnicity in medical algorithms? That's the topic of today's episode of A Health Podacy. I'm here with Tina Hernandez-Bussard, Associate Dean of Research and Professor of Medicine at Stanford University. Dr. Hernandez-Bussard and co-authors published a commentary in the October 2023 issue of Health Affairs exploring how to promote equity in clinical decision-making. They call for embracing an approach of what they call race awareness, which we'll discuss in more detail today. Dr. Hernandez-Bussard, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So this is a really important and emerging complex field. It's probably best, I think, if you could just start with making sure our listeners understand some of the ways that race has been used in medical practice, particularly in the area of treatment algorithms. Yeah. So, um, you know, clinical algorithms are ubiquitous in medical practice today. And a lot of these algorithms do use race. For example, there are algorithms to measure kidney function that use race as a variable. There are algorithms to assess risk of disease, such as the Framingham Heart Studies algorithm for cardiovascular risk. There are algorithms for dosing medications, such as warfarin, which is an anticoagulant that uses race in its methodology. And there are also algorithms to assess risk of adverse events, um, such as the vaginal birth after cesarean risk calculator is as examples where race is often used in these medical algorithms. So I have to say, not terribly long ago, I was at my general practitioner's office and uh, was Uh, My cholesterol is a little high, and they had their algorithm, and right there was race in it, and I was a bit surprised. So it's in, as you note, many places in uh, clinical practice. What are some of the potential sources of harm, though, in using race in these algorithms? Yeah, so the use of race in medical algorithms um, can really introduce or perpetuate various types of harm. So, for example, you know, one is just data accuracy and misinterpretation. So race is a complex structure that is really influenced by a variety of factors, including genetics, environment, social conditions. And so using it as a variable may oversimplify all of these different features that could lead to inaccurate results. It can also perpetuate race inequalities. So including race as a variable in these medical algorithms can reinforce and perpetuate existing, you know, health disparities. For example, if an algorithm factors in race to determine eligibility for certain treatments, it could limit access to certain populations for these treatments. 
right? There's also been evidence that shows when we use race and algorithms, we can have a misallocation of resources. So the algorithm might deem a particular population as being less in need of an algorithm that might ha not have anything to do with race, but more have something to do with social determinants for how they access these healthcare facilities. Therefore, including race um, in these algorithms really reinforces stereotypes, and it really can introduce disparities in how we diagnose, treat, and prognose, define how we're going to, the, the disease will evolve. Yeah, you know, we talk about race as a social construct, and we think of medicine as being built on sort of clinical scientific factors, and uh, that does seem like a little bit of a mismatch. But as you know, uh, race can be used, if you will, in the algorithms, in the data sets that have created the algorithms. It can be a proxy for other things that might be valuable. And, and I remember someone commenting when there was early discussion about just taking race out of the equation, well, then these algorithms will actually become less precise because after all, they wouldn't be in there if they didn't carry some information. So you talk about not just taking race out, but creating a race aware model. And I, I think it's an interesting term. I wonder if you could Say a little more about what you mean. Yeah, and so you are exactly right in that we can't just remove race from these algorithms because then the algorithms are no longer accurate. So a race-aware approach is, is not about removing race, but it's about using it responsibly and intentionally using it to address inequalities, right? So a race-aware approach recognizes that there's structural factors, meaning, you know, it acknowledges racial disparities often arise from structural racism and social determinants of health that we need to take into consideration when um, defining these algorithms. So this approach seeks to really revise existing algorithms in a way that benefits different racial and ethnic groups. So for example, in our paper, we talk about the kidney allocation system that previously included race in the algorithm. Well, this system was recalibrated to benefit minority populations who often spent more time on dialysis before being referred for or receiving a kidney transplant. So the race-aware approach tries to identify, well, what are the reasons why we included race in the first place? What is the proxy this is trying to correct for and putting those features into the algorithm instead of race itself? So really a race-aware approach tries to replace race with actual risk factors, medical risk factors. And when we don't know what those risk factors are, we do include race, but we have to understand how it's being used and it has to be continually evaluated and monitored to ensure that it's not increasing disparities or increasing you know, stereotypes in the system. Okay, so I want to spend a little time with these examples. You just mentioned uh, kidney allocation earlier. You mentioned VBAC for vaginal birth after cesarean. It seems to me what you're trying to capture here is is quite complex, and, and I just want to spend enough time that I understand it and our listeners can. So when you have race in an algorithm, it's standing in the place of certain types of information. And because race is not a biological phenomenon, that information could be 
a lot of different things that would affect the course of disease or the likely effects of treatment or something like that. What I was really struck by as I read your paper is this notion of sort of the imperative of going back a step and asking, as you just said, why is race in here and what does it represent? So can you help me with either of these two examples uh, that you've given or another, if you prefer, help us walk through, like, this is how it's used, but here's what it, why what it represents is important. And only by asking the question, what does it represent? Can we actually figure out how to back race out of the equation and come up with something more effective? Exactly. So, so let me walk you through the uh, VBAC calculator, which is the vaginal birth after cesarean. And so originally, the VBAC calculator um, used race as a feature in this algorithm. So let's talk about this original algorithm and the problem, right? So the original algorithm used race as a risk factor, as I mentioned, um, which caused clinicians to make decisions based on, you know, preconceived notions rather than individual patient data. So the old algorithm disproportionately reduced the odds of Black and Hispanic women to even be considered for a vaginal birth after C-section, thereby limiting their childbirth options. So by associating the poorer outcomes directly with race, right, the original algorithm masks the underlying issues contributing to these outcomes, right? So it's not that you are Black or Hispanic, that you're going to have worse outcomes with a vaginal birth after a cesarean. So we need to understand what it was. And so actually, they went through, they gathered evidence, and they found that one of these actual conditions was chronic hypertension. And it just turns out that Black women had higher rates of chronic hypertension. So the old algorithm used race as a proxy for chronic hypertension because we weren't, we didn't know that that was the underlying cause. So what happened was the maternal fetal uh, medicine network made a shift to a race aware approach. So what they did was they identified this actionable risk factor, which was chronic hypertension that was actually associated with poorer birth outcomes. Um, and that race was just being used as a proxy for this. So by switching from a race based risk factor to a medical risk factor, right, here, chronic hypertension, the algorithm becomes more accurate in assessing an individual's patient risk, not the risk for a group that is associated with a race. And so this improves not only the ability for the clinicians to make more personalized individual decisions, it also improves patient outcomes, and it improves that trust between the patient and the medical care system. So I think that's a good example of how this society decided they were going to really investigate why race was being used in the VBAC calculator. They found a great medical risk factor, chronic hypertension, that was in, replaced with that. And now it's been replaced and the algorithm using chronic hypertension still works quite accurately and is more equitable. Um, so I'm so glad you went through that because that just gives it some life. And what I'm also struck by just by doing sort of the math in my head is that this now actually becomes more accurate regardless of race. And so it improves accuracy uh, for everyone because it's tying to an actual clinical characteristic that uh, you can measure as opposed to uh, a social construct where you're quite imprecise. So just because the rates 
on average are higher for a certain group relative to another. It doesn't mean that any individual has those characteristics and this becomes, as I say, better for everyone. Well, that kind of example is very um, encouraging because it suggests we, we really can do better. And by pushing ourselves to move away from race, we are forced to ask the question, what does it stand for? Um, I'd like to talk to you about sort of how we go from here to more uh, complete and comprehensive adoption of some of the principles you've described. We'll cover those topics after we take a short break. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Tina Hernandez-Bussard about uh, equity in clinical decision-making, particularly the shift from race-based medicine to race-aware models for algorithms. Before the break, we had a great example of a, a situation where we can do better for everyone by dismantling these often stereotype-driven or just uh, very generic elements of, of algorithms that, that use race as a proxy for other things. Uh, in the paper, you provide, if you will, a roadmap for reform that says, you know, in order to get from where we are to better use of these data and, and better, uh, more equitable practice of medicine, there are some things we need to do. I won't go through all the factors. That's what uh, people should read the paper for. But one of the elements you discuss is something that you refer to as precision care. We often hear about precision medicine. And this sounds a little bit like, again, a, a more nuanced look at the data. Can you tell me what you meant when you use the term precision care? Sure. So for me, precision care really provides a shift in the way we think about healthcare delivery, which could really improve patient outcomes for all populations and, and potentially make our system more equitable. So precision medicine refers specifically to the customization of healthcare, including medical treatments, practices, and recommendations. And these are tailored to an individual patient. So it uses genetics, environment, lifestyle to really be more precise about how we treat a condition. Precision care, on the other hand, extends beyond medical treatments to encompass a more holistic, patient-centered approach that includes considerations about the patient's lifestyle, social determinants of health, community context, etc. So while precision medicine focuses on the what, you know, what treatment, what medication, what intervention, precision care focuses on the how, right? It looks at how treatment fits into the patient's life overall, how it aligns with their, the decisions align with the patient's values, um, how to consider factors like trust, communication, and social determinants of health in the delivery of care. So in essence, I think precision care is a more encompassing term that, you know, includes not just personalized medical treatment, but really personalized healthcare delivery, personalized care. And so that's sort of an expansion from the way we've been thinking about precision medicine in the past. Okay, so what I'm struck as I listened to both that and our earlier conversation, and you say this in the paper, is we sort of need this balance, right? It's not that we want to move from race-based medicine to blind medicine, because that's a loss of information. We need to move toward a race awareness approach. 
But you talk about a balance, and balances, I'm a lawyer, I love balances, but it's always hard to know when you're in balance. So as you think about where we are, where you think about where we need to be, when you think about some of the examples you've talked through here, what does it mean to balance and get the benefits of what you're describing while leaving some of the inequitable practices behind? Yeah, that that's a great question. And I think finding the balance between a race neutral and race aware approach is really a dynamic process that requires ongoing adjustments and evaluations. It requires additional evidence. It really requires that we move to more evidence-based changes. So understanding what are those factors that race is really a proxy for, right? What is that chronic hypertension as we saw in the VBAC calculator in all of these other algorithms? It requires ongoing evaluation, right? Both a race-aware and a race-neutral approach require that we continuously evaluate how the algorithm is performing across different populations. We never treat the average patient. We treat an individual patient. So understanding how these algorithms affect individual patients, individual communities, individual subgroups is really important. I also think there's really, um, when we take this balance into consideration, right, we need to have the patients involved. We need to understand and have them involved in shared decision-making, understanding, you know, what do they understand about the treatment options or opportunities they have? What don't they understand? How does it fit into their values and their communities and their ability to even receive care, to want care, et cetera? So it really requires a dynamic flexibility, you know, a balance between not only clinical information, but also patient information, social determinants of health, and and finding that right balance is going to be a, you know, a big struggle as we move forward. But I think it's a struggle we all want to embark on. It's a struggle we need to have. And understanding that right balance is going to be a great way for us to address inequalities in our healthcare system and and think about how algorithms can improve that. Yeah, so I'm thinking back again to my experience with uh, the uh, algorithm used when my cholesterol came back a little high. And the question isn't, what is my race? The question is, why is that in there? And presumably, what you're describing is a scenario where instead of saying, oh, take it out, you say, well, what does it represent? What are the other aspects of someone's being, both their physical being and their social being, that single variable is capturing? And then how do we measure those things? As you, as you said, what sort of what's the chronic hypertension equivalent in these other places? And that's like one fairly measurable thing, but I suspect we're going to find in a lot of places it's a lot of different things, and a lot of them we don't have very good data on. And so what it sounds to me like you're describing is a vision where you're helping us understand which questions to ask. Sometimes the answers will not be that hard to find. Other times they're going to be very hard. And and I wonder, and if this is maybe what you mean by the balance, sometimes the answer is going to be hard, and that means we are going to have to be thoughtful about moving away from race in the algorithm because we don't know what else to put in there. And until we get a little further in discovery, we are at risk of losing something that we don't want to lose, even though we're not very happy with it. Is that 
right? Exactly. And, and that's where the balance comes in. We know race is in these algorithms to account for something, right? And, and we, again, we can't just pull it away because we know there are differences in outcomes across race and ethnicity. So we really need to understand what, what are the risk factors that are associated with those. And you're right. We don't have a lot of that data. It's not data that we collect systematically. It's not data that a lot of people want to share. It's not data that we have routinely collected in the past. So those are huge challenges that we need to really overcome. And and it has to be a really multidisciplinary approach in how we address these issues with data and and accuracy and, and really getting a more holistic view of the patient. Well, that seems like the perfect outcome of a commentary, which is to give us a sense of where we are and a sense of where we need to go with an understanding that there's a long road from here to there, but uh, but we need to be on it. So I thank you for explaining this complex topic and giving meaning to some terms that I've certainly heard about, but aren't always that accessible. Uh, Dr. Hernandez-Bussard, thank you for being my guest today on Health Policy. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about a health policy.